Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the IQT podcast. Today on our series, The Intersection, we're going to hear from Bilal Zuberi, co-founder and partner of Lux Capital. This is a discussion that he and I had uh, uh, at an event we held in May, where he had some insightful things to say about the risk in the venture capital world, the impact of the business cycle, and the future of cryptocurrency, all which led us to our favorite intersection, the intersection of technology and national security. Please enjoy the episode. You're a successful venture capitalist. Your firm's uh, uh, very large and, and very busy, I'm sure. There's a lot of portfolio companies, um, a lot going on in the industry right now that we'll talk about. You know, with all that going on, why do you take the time to come down to this conference? What is it about this uh, uh, market or this segment that, that is of particular interest to you? Fascinating. So first, uh, thank you for inviting me. This is something really special about, you know, this country uh, and really special about, you know, the venture industry and the startup industry that we harvest the best talent everywhere and we bring them and we say work on the most interesting problems. Um, and, and, and I think that's what takes us into new industries and new places. You ask why are we investing in these spaces, uh, there, there are two clear answers to that. One is that if you just look at the DOD budget, $750, $780 billion, that's not a chunk change, right? right. That's, that's a big budget, so it's a, it's a big TAM, and that's just the DOD, right? And, and you I'm know. not sure all the government folks know what TAM is, so why don't you? Oh, the total accessible market. <laughs> so the size of the market that you can go after is very, very large. Uh, and it's global, and this is what I just named as the Department of Defense budget for one year in the United States. Now you think about all the other agencies that you can service in the federal government, and then you think about all the countries around the world that you can service, especially those that are friendly nations to us. This is a very, very large market. The second thing uh, is related to, you know, where VCs invest um, money is where great founders and entrepreneurs want to spend time. And yes, it's sometimes easier to make money in certain markets than others. You know, for a time it felt like you could start a social network and become rich, and then it became crypto these days, right? You can just, um, uh, but not everybody wants to make money that way, and not everybody is only motivated by money either. Amazing um, scientists and founders, and many of them presented here, um, are motivated by, um, by a sense of mission. And, and they want to push technologies that actually do good for the world. And there's absolutely, you know, the range of, you know, helping poor people uh, find water and food and, and shelter to, you know, you saw technologies here, uh, solving cancers or antibacterial infections and so on uh, for soldiers, but also everybody else. And, and, and then there is defending security and, and defending our, um, you, know, uh, you know, everything from terrorist attacks to soldiers fighting in the field. So we are motivated to invest in some of the cutting edge technologies that uh, can get access uh, not only in the defense markets, but also in commercial markets. And, and frankly, very large markets and building what I call sustainable companies, meaning companies that will be here generations down the road. So uh, your firm was one of the first firms to really uh, uh, define a, a market segment called deep tech. Uh, 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 where did that come from? You know, how do you guys define that? And then set the context for the audience, if you don't mind today, uh, for the rest of your remarks in terms of you know the size and the success of your, your firm. So uh, we manage about four billion dollars of capital. Um, you know, what that generally means, if you do the math right, is that if we want to return 
a multiple, like four or five times that money to our investors. We have to return $20 billion to our investors. We typically own you know, 10 to 20% in each company that we invest in. We're usually minority shareholders, which means that we have to generate 100 to $200 billion worth of uh, value in the economy for us to be seen as a success. Okay? And, and that's just one venture firm. You can, you can imagine there are many other venture firms as well. So, so that's what we do. Um, every venture firm tends to have some area of focus, some sector focus, some things that they're really good at. And, and for us, it is investing at the intersection of technology and sciences. Now, the sciences could be life sciences. They could be physical sciences, uh, including semiconductors or nanotech or whatever, quantum tech or it could be computer sciences, and that includes crypto in, in, in many ways. So you know, our thesis is deep technology is at the intersection of these various disciplines where cutting edge technologies solve really interesting problems. Uh, venture investors, um, in my opinion, uh, fall into two categories, of two camps. One, that really like technical risk, but they don't like business risk. What I mean by that is that if, you know, if I was to give, tell you that there is a cure for cancer available and I'm going to work on that, um, it could be technically very complex. There could be a lot of risk associated with that, but nobody's going to argue with you that there's a need for that product in the market. And a lot of other investors that you typically hear about in, in the general media are people who, who can take business risk, but they don't like technical risk. Right. I'm not entirely sure if 15-year-old girls are going to use this app on their laptop or on their, uh, on their phone or not. But you know, that's a big business risk, but nobody's gonna say that you can't really build that app. So we like to be on the spectrum where you're taking deep technology risk, um, hard problems, um, mostly founders that have worked in these spaces for a very long time, and, and they're very mission-driven, so that they're not looking to flip the company to somebody else, but they wanna be in that industry for a long time to come and build companies for 10, 20, 30 years, standalone public companies that will be around you know, for many generations. So, so to do that, to, and that's a very clear answer to my question, thank you. To take on that technical risk, you have to be confident in your uh, ability to evaluate uh, uh, the technology chops, if you will, of the founders, uh, as well as um, uh, uh, skilled at managing uh, that risk. So talk, talk us through a little bit how you guys do that as a firm. Several things. Uh, first and foremost is uh, we ourselves tend to be very technical. Yep. So I have a PhD. Half of my partnership has, either has PhDs or advanced degrees of some sort. The second is the network that you keep, the company you keep really matters. We stay very close to the you know, uh, academic community and researchers and, and, and being able to very quickly get to the 80-20 of it. Um, you know, we want to make sure that um, you know, we're not investing in, frankly, BS, and we're not investing in where you know, first law of thermodynamics is not followed or anything like that. But more importantly also, it is understanding how to mitigate risk. So everything you invest in feels crazy, right? So the person that you know, may have said, we're going to build electric cars, and they're going to run on batteries, and they're going to replace you know, uh, combustion engines, was probably considered crazy. Certainly the person who said we're going to go to space using commercial aircraft was considered crazy. But now you think about all the other sciences that we think about, quantum computing or um, discovery of drugs for various diseases or, or brain-computer interfaces. These all sound pretty crazy. Uh, but you can actually invest at se several milestones along the way. And each subsequent milestone, the idea is to reduce the risk substantially. So, you know, you, it, it does not mean that, you know, we know that this will for sure work. Right. We are taking a calculated risk 
that there is a chance that this will work. And if it works, this could open up a very large market and very large opportunity. Sometimes things don't work and they fail. Um, and as you and I were chatting earlier, not everything has to work. Only a few things have to work, or one of the things has to work spectacularly well. And if that happens, you have venture returns. There's really, in venture capital, the most important word you will hear is the power law. And the power law is that you know, most of the successes reside in few outcomes, and, and, but those successes are really, really big. You know, for every, you know, there were 13 or so um, search engines before Google came around and became big. There was all these things that some of you may remember, the Plaxos and the Friendsters and all that, and then the Facebook came along and that became big. In fact, Andy Radcliffe, uh, prominent VC, once wrote an article where he said, in every large market, and by the way, that applies to all the government sectors as well, uh, our technology sectors, defense tech, I like to call them, um, that you will have one gorilla maybe one or two chimpanzees, and a whole bunch of monkeys. Okay? And our hope is that we can invest in the gorilla, and if we miss it, at least a chimpanzee, but not be stuck with too many monkeys. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, as you know, the investing world's full of pithy little sayings, and, and the one that was explained to me when I, when I joined uh, the industry was, you can only lose one times your money, but you yes. can make 10, 100, you know, 1,000 times your money if you're, if, you're, if you're right, and you get one of those gorillas. So uh, uh, that's great. So what are the areas of uh, uh, technology in particular you guys are excited about investing in right now? So um, just thinking about defense tech or national security stuff, because you know, we, we invest in a lot of different categories. We have about 200 portfolio companies. Um, first and foremost, we think after about a decade and a half of investing by venture capital in general in consumer internet, you know, the Facebooks of the world, and enterprise SaaS technologies, which you guys have also heard about, um, the industry, as it's trying to reassess itself, as the market is shifting, is actually going to pay more attention to deep technology industries. You know, longer-term projects, uh, more defined markets, um, and uh, and less of a de uh, dependence on short-term uh, market, um, uh, you know, variability. Um, so we are very focused on on those sectors. You know, identifying real large problems and investing in them. We have about, somebody was talking to me earlier, we have about 10 companies that are focused on space, right? We have rocket companies that are going space, we have satellite companies, we have obviously Earth imaging and all, all kinds of machine learning AI for those. Um, we have companies that are manufacturing for space industries, companies like Hadrian, we have companies that are manufacturing in space, companies like Warda, uh, and so on and so forth. Uh, we think we are at war. Uh, in space, we just don't want to accept it as a society. We're investing a lot in, in that sector. We're also very big on cybersecurity. This is not a problem that is going away. We actually have a shared portfolio company, Nozomi Networks, and then a whole bunch of others that are focused on um, cybersecurity because we are under attack again that we don't want to talk about very much. Um, you know, we are also investing in brain-computer interfaces. We think this is going to be the next big thing. Uh, it's not just the AR, VR, the wearable stuff. Uh, you know, our, our ability to process information is so much faster our, than our ability to communicate with the computers. So my generation grew up with keyboards where you learned QWERTY typing, yeah. right? My kids are all like talking to the computers <laughs> now, but even that's not fast enough. So it will be thinking and getting things done. So invest in a company called Control Labs that actually Facebook acquired for about a billion dollars or so. But there's a lot more happening in that space. Uh, I think quantum is an interesting space for us. Um, and, and, and then there is this broader idea of automation and autonomy. I, I think we underestimate how much of society's resources are spent on things that could easily be automated. We're just scratching the surface there. In autonomous cars, we talk about it. I mean, how much time all of us spend driving 
And we just take it for granted that's a part of our life. Why should it be? Think about the productivity that we can bring into our lives if we are not driving ourselves and driving our kids around for activities. So autonomous cars, autonomous ships, autonomous uh, drones, all of these are portfolio companies that we're spending a lot of time on. And, and in each one of these spaces, uh, we invest first in, you know, we, we find in hindsight that we first invest in a platform technology that solves the problem. And as we start solving that problem, we realize other people identify the same problem, they start building companies, and then we start investing in component technologies that feed that problem. So an autonomous car company, that then we say, okay, they're gonna be simulation companies, they're gonna be LIDAR's company, and so on and so forth. That's how the portfolio evolves. Okay, great. So let's talk about where the industry is today. You know, We've all benefited from a great bull run over the last you know, 10 or 12 years. Uh, and there's a lot of people that have only been in the industry for that long and think you know, the markets could only go out, up. But we've seen uh, 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 certainly the public markets uh, correct here uh, uh, pretty abruptly uh, uh, last uh, a few months. And it's only a matter of time before that correction uh, 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 permeates through the, the, the private uh, uh, sector and the private valuations. So, uh, uh, you know, when you're talking to your portfolio companies, when you're talking to your partners about, hey, you know, what's going on in the world right now, and, and is this uh, 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 a permanent change or just a little blip in the, in the market? What's your perspective? So we have, uh, all of us, have benefited from a tremendous growth and exuberance in the market for the last few years. Um, we all saw the number of unicorns, which is companies worth over a billion dollars. That, that number has grown exponentially yeah. over the last five years. Uh, market is definitely contracting. Um, not only that these companies grew and their valuations grew, but the multiples grew, which is really, you know, the valuation of the company, you know, how do you determine that? Where you take their revenue and you multiply it by some multiple and you say, hey, they're gonna continue to make this revenue for X number of years. Uh, that multiple grew a lot, and I think that's starting to get compressed. Um, it's, it's, it's different times right now. So, you know, you said we have funny sayings in VC. This is one of those. So, you know, three, four, five years ago, we were all in FOMO, right? The fear of missing out. We were all chasing each other, and we didn't want to miss the next Facebook or the next Uber or the next DoorDash or the next whatever. And, and we were paying high prices to get into these deals, and we're feeling like champions if we win the deal because we were competing with each other. Um, then came what, you know, one of my partners calls sobs, which was scared of being the sucker on the table, right? <laughs> so we wanted to be in these companies, but we didn't want to be the sucker who paid the highest price. So yeah. Like, oh, you know, nobody wanted to invest after SoftBank. Uh, I just wanted to come before SoftBank. Um, and, and, and that has now transitioned to you a new You could Tiger Global in there also. Or Tiger Global or inside. There's a whole bunch of funds that were seen as, you know, I don't want to be the sucker who comes after that. But then now we have gone into this new phase which is we jokingly call Poll, P-O-L-L, which is you know, pride in losing less, right? <laughs> what that means, we right now feel, investors right now feel that you know, just hold on to your money because yeah. you can't really make money elsewhere. Yeah. Just don't lose a lot of money. Right. You know? It's a little bit like my, um, you know, when I play with the stocks and whatnot and I don't tell my wife anymore. For the last three months, I have not shared how, I, how our <laughs> bank account is doing because it'll cause depression in the household. But, um, <laughs> But, but I think what, so, so all this is true. Yeah. Look, whether interest rates are gonna go up and how much they're gonna go up, um, the fact that there's wars around the world, that doesn't help. The fact that this is an election year, that doesn't help, uh, and so on and so forth. That said, we as venture capitalists, but also startups, we tend to forget. We make our money in the downturns. Yeah. Money is never made 
when the market is high. Money is never made when my entry price on a company is a billion dollars. Money is made when my entry price on a company is $25 million, where the company exits for a billion, two billion, ten billion dollars. This is the time to be investing in companies. This is, you know, this is not the first cycle. I mean, I've been a part of three cycles, but there are people who've been a part of more cycles than that. There are books written on this. This is the time to be building a company. This is the time to be getting the best investors who are focused on actually helping you versus running around and chasing the, the, the new shining gold. Um, the second thing is that the entrepreneurs don't stop building, right? This is the time if you were at a company where you, got, where you entered when it was already a billion dollars worth company and you got stock options at that price, and you're like, this company is really not worth that much. That stock options are practically worthless, right? So what do you do? You're like, screw this. I'm going to go start my own company. I've always wanted to do this. Or my friend, you know, this PhD student at MIT is doing this. I'm going to go start a company with that person. We are seeing that live right now. So when stock market was, you know, depressed, that's when Facebook and Google got started. That's when Uber and Twitter and all of these companies got started. I think that the same thing is happening here. Some of the most incredible companies that I think in a few years will be presenting here and will be talking about are probably getting started right now. So our team is focused on that rather than chasing the, the shiny object. So I agree with you completely, and that's a great message, I think, for the entrepreneurs in the audience who are still in the early stage, still building the companies, don't have a huge burn rate uh, yet. What's your advice for the later stage uh, uh, companies uh, in your portfolio or in the audience? Yeah, we have a lot of companies in the later stage in our, uh, in our portfolio. Number one, raise capital. Right. Right? Like, th this is not a time to fool around. Number two, cut costs. Yeah. Right? Extend the runway. Yeah. Um, you know, Q1 ended for SaaS companies. A lot of them, uh, Q1 ends in April. Uh, most companies came short. A lot of companies came short or barely made their targets. Uh, certainly not the stretch targets, right? So for all these companies, there's a conversation happening at the boards where the CEOs are saying, you know, we have two options. One, we continue to think we will meet our annual, annual numbers and try to meet them and hire more salespeople and accelerate the burn to meet those growth numbers, or should we actually scale back our projections, cut the costs, uh, extend the runway, and try to reach cash flow break even? And 100 times of 100, the answer is do the latter. Right, right now in this climate. Now this may change. Like actually, one, you know, from Lux, we actually think so. Two months ago, all of us were like, you know, interest rates are gonna keep going up, right? Like all of us talked that six times this year, it could be 25, uh, you know, 25 basis points or 50 or maybe even 75. Actually, we believe that there's so much negativity around, that so much, you know, so much things not working out right. We may not, we wouldn't be surprised at Lux if interest rates actually don't go up very much. Sure. Right? We may have overcorrected a little bit, right? So the world may change in the next six, nine, 12 months, but if you're a founder uh, that has a business that's doing 10, 20, 50 million in ARR, you have a real business. Don't screw it up. This is, this is not a time to, <laughs> to uh, spend money unwisely, to think you can one-up anybody else. This is a time to batten down the hatches and build the business uh, and, and, and reserve the capital uh, because when the market comes back in again, you will be there. Look, all of us in the last two years, we bought the cars we wanted to buy, we bought the houses, or we bought the clothes we needed to buy. Most of us probably don't need another pair of jeans. This is happening across the economy where people are like, we pulled in a lot of the purchases that we were going to make. Now, the same thing happened in enterprise as well. A lot of companies pulled in the purchases that they were going to do. So things will be soft for a while, but wait 
and, and if you're prepared at the right time and have the capital to survive that, you will actually do quite well. Yeah. So one of the non-obvious effects of uh, what we're experiencing right now is on the employee basis of these companies. So again, uh, uh, if you're a big tech, if you employ at a big tech company, all of a sudden your options are underwater, which makes you a lot looser in the saddle, which is again good for the, the startup companies trying to recruit people. If you're a late stage private company, again, your employers are probably sitting there going, huh, my, my options might not be worth as much as I thought. Uh, uh, how do you advise companies, and, and what do you think, will we just see an increased talent flow, if you will, from the large tech companies uh, back to the early stage startups? So the early um, signs of this are clear. Certain companies are actually repricing yeah. their options. Um, you know, there are some companies that raise a lot of money and did a lot of secondaries at high prices, but we've publicly seen them, them reprice their um, common shares. Uh, because you want to make sure that the employees who are working there make money. Right? Like employees only make money because if they enter at a certain price, they have to pay that price to buy the shares and then get the price higher than that. So certainly I think our advice to companies is think about retention and think about incentives right now. Um, you know, we don't have job, joblessness in this society, right? Like we're pretty full on employment. So um, it's not like, you know, oh yeah, you know, these guys are not gonna go anywhere because there's nowhere else for this person to go. That's not gonna happen. So you have to have retention policies in place right now, especially if you think that your company was overpriced, and especially if you think that there may be harder times ahead. The second thing is uh, for, um, for entrepreneurial folks, you know, that are in these companies, you will see them starting companies. And, and one of the things that you might see more of is you know it's not that the person's just going to leave and do you might actually see the companies and the founders of the company that they're leaving saying I want to invest in your company. Um, one of the things we do at Lux and we do very successfully across all these cycles that you know downturns that happen in special situations, we will see a lot of large companies spinning off projects that were not core to what they were doing. By the way, this is not just Googles and the Facebooks and Lockheeds and Raytheons, right? This is also the Ubers of the world or the DoorDashes of the world that are larger companies companies, stripes of the world that are still private companies that over the last few years they expanded into areas that were not very core but they felt like we should do that because we are doing expansion of the market. They may actually say let's focus on the things that we're really good at and this other thing that we were spending 10 million dollars a year, why are we doing that? Let's spin that out. So I think we will see a lot more of that opportunities coming up across all sectors. So, you know, investors are looking out for them where somebody else has spent 10, 20, 50, 100 million dollars developing some product and say, you know, we don't want to keep funding it because it needs another three, four, five years of nurturing. Investors will come and take it out, take it private, and, and, and do a new co around it. So the one area uh, where the valuations haven't dropped is crypto, right? You can still get you know, uh, uh, you know, two, two entrepreneurs and nobody else in the company for a $100 million pre. Uh, uh, you know, uh, do you really believe that uh, crypto is uncorrelated with the rest of the market, or do you think that there's going to be an impact there? So one of the big problems in, uh, in companies is that you hire somebody, that you're paying them you know, $120,000 in salary, and they have like you know, $12 million in crypto assets in their bank account, and you're trying to retain them. Uh, they're doing this on the, on, the, on the sideline just to pay the taxes and not get caught. Um, <laughs> crypto market is real. Uh, there is a lot of amazing stuff that is happening there. Pay attention when some of the smartest people in the country go and spend time in any sector. Right. They're not idiots. Like, there, there's a reason why some of the smartest minds in Silicon Valley are working on it. There's a lot of hard problems that we simply cannot solve without crypto. 
right? And it keeps coming up in many, many areas, right? In, as I always tell my friends, some of my smartest friends are working on crypto, and some of my most idiotic friends are working on crypto. <laughs> right? The scam artists are also in crypto. Uh, so you have to be very judicious about that. Um, and, and I actually believe that actual users of crypto will still take a few more years. Right. Like right now, we're still building out the underlying uh, ecosystem and the infrastructure. And, and you know, we're still at a place where $300 million went missing. And you know, it's like page three news, right? I mean, $300 million, how does that work? Um, and we, are, somebody, we are a company that can help there. And, and, and then somebody says, well, I just, you know, some fund, like I just paid them $300 million. Like you had $300 million lying around to just pay back $300 million that went missing. So I, I, I think we're still building out the infrastructure. But once the infrastructure is built, just like Web2, SaaS, like nobody questions that anymore. The same thing will happen in crypto. You won't, you won't, we won't talk about crypto. It will be just the underlying infrastructure, and we'll talk about a payments company, or we'll talk about a real estate company, or an applications company. Uh, crypto will be just the infrastructure underneath it. Please join me in thanking Bilal for a very informative oh, conversation. You. That concludes our discussion. I want to give a big thank you to Bilal for being such a great guest and sharing some of what he's learned from working at the intersection of investing and national security technology. And thanks to you for tuning in today. We'll see you next time.